In Revelation 13, we're going to encounter a couple of beasts. And these have been sort of a confusion to people and variously interpreted by uh, folks over the centuries. How can we understand this scripture uh, for us today? How is it relevant and helpful to us? Uh, as we encounter these fearsome beasts, we need to be watchful, dear friends. We need to be chiefly watchful of ourselves and of our families and of each other in order that we don't become beastly, in order that we don't become worldly, in order that we don't start going in a different direction from the direction that God has called us to. We become beastly by exerting the kind of pride that we'll see in the beasts today when we open scripture. The kind of attitude prevalent in the unbelieving world. We also need to be watchful that we're not worshipping or in awe of or fearful of the world. Because God alone deserves to be revered and worshipped. So as we read scripture this morning, let us consider how these two beasts might represent the world and its false claims and structures today and how we are tempted to conform to that pattern of life in the secular status quo. Who or what do you worship? That's the challenge before us this morning. Let's turn to Revelation 13. And verse 1 is a great start for us, okay? Because if you wanted to have a wonderful clue as to who these beasts represent, then look no further than verse 1. Okay, we're going to start with verse 1. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Remember that dragon from last week in Revelation 12? He stood on the shore of the sea. He hasn't gone away into obscurity, into retirement. He's not... Uh, He's not quietly biding his time. He is actively directing his forces. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. They also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words <coughs> and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. 
If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Friends, I'm just going to give an aside briefly here. It may be that we're called to martyrdom. There are saints being martyred all over the world. There have been throughout history. But it doesn't mean that you're outside of God's plan. It doesn't mean that you're not going to receive every blessing and every reward for your faithfulness. Let's continue with verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to be set up to set up an image in honour of the first beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. It was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. 666. If you're taking notes this morning, we've got uh, three. I've got three points. First of all, beasts. Secondly, blasphemy. And thirdly, beauty. Okay. You could say it's a beauty in the beast sermon this morning. Okay, beasts, blasphemy, and beauty. Firstly, these beasts. The world can seem pretty intimidating and pretty awe-inspiring sometimes. We can get caught up in current affairs and begin to wonder where God is and what he is doing. As the problems of the world multiply and political and military reality appears to be unstoppable. Did you read in, in uh, the text there as we read through it? Uh, the peoples of the world said, who can defeat this beast? Right? Lots of people were saying, who, could, who can stand up to Putin? Who can stand up to the Russian army? Surely no one. Surely God can, dear friends, if he so chooses. The beloved Apostle John prevents us from falling under any such delusions in chapter 13 of Revelation. Praise God, those who are in Christ and who are daily renewing their faith and their trust in him. We, dear friends, can be immune from the pretentious razzle-dazzle that the world puts on. We can be released from the fear of man the pressure to conform to the pattern of joining every bandwagon that comes along, conducted and orchestrated by the media and the leaders of the world. As I've said already, let's not forget who is directing the seductions of the world. Verse 1. Satan who stands on the shore of the sea. 
Friends, there is another leader who we must be in tune with. One voice, often a still, small voice. A voice which speaks truth and grace. A voice which speaks patient kindness. A voice which is the antidote to pride. And which is the true authority over each of us individually. But also incredibly over the whole world. Over all the governments of the world. Over all the institutions of the world. And over the very powers that uphold the universe itself. Friends, it's quite incredible to come into the light of Christ. And to no longer be at the mercy of every flavour of the month. And every wind of doctrine that does not stand the test of time. Empires rise and fall. One thing remains. And that is God in his glory. And the testimony of his grace in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder, do you have such confidence in Christ this morning? Is your faith seeing you through the troubled times that we navigate? Because in the Ukraine, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who continue to witness to his gospel to save, even more fervently and urgently, though they face imminent attack and great danger. Perhaps we think that they ought to be fleeing. Of course, some are. But those emboldened by the spirit of the one who is absolutely steadfast and sure, in the moment of greatest need, they are testifying to the Lord of all, who wields all power and authority for eternity. Not only for 42 months, as we see in scripture, this beast has power and authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years. Or 20 years, as in the case of President Putin. Being a little bit critical of President Putin. But we should also remind ourselves that our democratic Western way of life is far from perfect, dear friends. We can just as easily make an idol of that. A great many wrongs are promoted here. In recent times, the pressure to conform to the world's ideas about euthanasia, or assisted dying, as it's called, abortion, gender and sexuality. The pressure is strong to conform to the world's view and to accept it. We better believe, dear friends, that we live in Babylon. We're not in some paradise already. We may have a lot more uh, peace and security. We may have a lot more economic prosperity and jobs. But we're not in heaven yet, friends. Looking to the wonders of the West is not how we are saved. But instead by looking to Christ. The same saviour that our dear friends in the East also look to. Whether, we, whether or not we worship is not in question this morning. The question is who or what we will worship. Have you ever heard someone say to you, I'm not religious? 
You ever heard that? Perhaps in your workplace, perhaps from your unbelieving neighbour. Well, this statement is typically made by very religious people. That's what I've noticed. The problem is that they're not aware of the fact that their worship is dangerously misdirected. They're frequently worshipping self, or worshipping money, or worshipping sexuality, or worshipping material things. And so we're told in Revelation 13 and verse 3, the whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Friend, we're clearly told here in Revelation 13 that if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, then you're astonished by the world. You're in awe of the world. You're worshipping the world with a great religious devotion. Anyone whose name was not written in the Lamb's book of life will worship these beasts, we're told, in verse 8. And dear friends, uh, there have been a great many such beasts throughout history since long before the time of our brother John until this very day. The devil keeps raising up new beasts, keeps assailing humanity with the same tricks again and again. So who do we worship? Who are we in awe of? These beasts speak blasphemy, we're told by scripture. We recognise the beasts, these false powers, these objects of false worship by the blasphemies that they speak and represent. Both of the beasts here in Revelation 13 are blasphemous. The first beast has blasphemous names on each of its heads, we're told. Surely this beast represents many different manifestations of the the vain pride of the powers of this world. It brings to mind the mistaken claims to authority and wisdom that the world makes time and again. It brings to mind the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You might be thinking... Pastor Ben, what are you talking about? That's Jesus, isn't it? Of course it's Jesus. But before this title was rightly shown to be Christ's, it was falsely given to the empire of Persia, the emperor of Persia, the Shah Hanshah. And before them, centuries before the Persians, it was a title wielded by the emperor of Assyria. Twelve centuries before Christ, the title was coined. But of course, it was a title always belonging to the one who made all things. Always belonging to the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. We're told in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. There's only one King of Kings. There's only one Lord of Lords. And it's God Almighty. And his Christ. We're often reminded, aren't we, how pride comes before a fall. Anyone who's a a student of history will know how the sad story of humankind has been the rampant pride that has destroyed nation after nation and community after community. 
and home after home. Due to the counterfeit spiritual signs that he's able to work, the second beast is given power over unbelieving humanity to enslave them all. They believe the lies spoken by the beasts, the false claims and confidence made by the blasphemous world system, and they enslave themselves to it. You see, everyone who chases the passing riches of the world, everyone who hankers after stuff, those who do not find their ultimate everyday comfort and joy in Christ, they will be inevitably enslaved to this beast, forever chasing goods, material things as our substitute comfort. But friend, these things will always prove empty. They will always crumble and fail before our eyes. They will rust away. They'll be eaten by moths. They'll be stolen by thieves, as Christ himself said. We are better storing our treasure up, our hearts in heaven, where they are safe for all eternity. As long as the number that we call is man's number, the number six, instead of God's number, we will struggle and we will suffer and we will encounter frustration. What is God's number, dear friends? Number seven. For the Lord rested on the seventh day because all his work was finished. Friend, all Christ's work is finished. Everything that's needed for your salvation and for your satisfaction is finished in Christ. You don't need to chase after the things of the world anymore. Man's number is six. We were created on day six. Meant to be the pinnacle of God's creation. So what does the number 666 mean, I hear you ask? Pastor Ben, tell us. Well, we could engage in some complex numerology according to the Hebrew alphabet. And we could conclude that it's talking about Emperor Nero or perhaps another figure from history or, or even someone who's still to appear. But as we saw from the first beast, these figures represent reality at various times through human history. There are many manifestations of Antichrist. Remember, uh, the apostles tell us that the spirit of Antichrist is where? In the world already. Even at the time of the apostles, the spirit of Antichrist was busily at work. That spirit of Antichrist has gone nowhere, dear friends. Any power, any spirit which says Christ is not Lord, which denies the authority of Scripture and denies the reality of our accountability to God and his law, that is the spirit of Antichrist. So let us be watchful. Let us identify it. Let us know where the folly and the failure lies. We could point to a few Antichrists in our day. And sometimes this is helpful. 
But for you and I today, how can we best understand this mysterious number 666? Well, I want to point out to you this morning that it's a trinity of sixes. A false trinity. It's the symbol of humankind when it assumes the power and value that belongs to God alone. The ultimate blasphemy. And so let us not be seduced by it. Let us instead find our beauty and our purpose and our everything in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is my third point, beauty. Even in these descriptions of the fearful beasts that represent the godless powers of the world, we see echoes of Christ. And this is no accident, dear friends. Because throughout his writing, John wants us to be reminded of and captivated by the beauty of Christ, the mighty risen Lamb of God, who alone is worthy to be thanked and honoured, praised and adored. Every pretender to the throne of true authority manifests counterfeit attributes. After all, the Lord God has made us in his image. And instinctively, human beings, whether believers or not, we pursue glory and power. Though only believers acknowledge that this glory and power belongs to the Lord our God alone and can only be wielded appropriately according to his grace and his will. In these accounts of the world's fearful and blasphemous beasts, where do we see echoes of Jesus? Well, the first beast has crowns on his head. He has various names, but these are blasphemous names. Christ's names are not blasphemous. They are glorious, and they are beautiful, and they are well-deserved. The beasts wield authority. Not God's righteous authority, but Satan's subversive and corrupt authority. But let's remember that all authority is the Lord's to give. The Lord has given Satan power for a time in order to reveal the fruit of rebellion and unrighteousness in disgraceful contrast to the Lord's wondrous, majestic rule and authority. The beasts have wounds. Did you notice that? Christ has wounds from his agony on the cross. The nail-pierced hands and feet. The spear hole in his side. Friends, Jesus' wounds are beautiful because by them we are healed. We are forgiven of our sin when we put our trust in him and turn from our rebellion. When our fear of the world's vain ways is replaced by a bold new allegiance to Christ. The second beast works great and miraculous signs to amaze the world. But like the fake miracles of Pharaoh's priests, they cannot match up to the true endearing signs of the Lord of hosts. The one who creates by the words he speaks by the one who can bring life to every man. 
the beast in Revelation 13 is worshipped. But Christ alone is worthy of worship, as John the Apostle has reminded us numerous times. Christ's light alone is unapproachable and irresistible. It is him we must worship, since there is salvation in no one else. No other name is given to us by which we can be saved. Even armed with the truth, the tribulation requires patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints, we're told in verse 10. This tribulation is not something easy for us. Maybe you've been finding it difficult. Maybe you've been tempted to think, well, if I'm finding it so difficult, maybe I don't have God's help. Scripture tells us it's not meant to be easy, friend. But it is distilling us. It is purifying us. It is making us fit for all eternity with our God. Praise the Lord. We need to seek God and his strength to resist the continual barrage of the world's vanity and oppression. We need wisdom to navigate our days. Verse 18. John makes that point. We need wisdom to understand. We need wisdom to recognize when there's an antichrist message coming our way. When there's a diktat from the devil coming our way. How does it stack up next to the truth of God's word? What does the spirit have to say about what we're hearing? Whether it comes from our TV, whether it comes from our government, whether it comes through the post, whether it comes from our employer in the workplace. Dare I say it. Friends, all these things, the wisdom, the patient endurance, the faithfulness, the courage, all of these things are ours in Christ. How do I know that? Because Christ perfectly embodies these things. He is perfectly patient. He endured the agony of humiliation both in entering this corrupt and sinful world and by receiving the punishment due to us. Jesus took our sin and shame as the brutal Roman scourging was inflicted upon him and as the nails were driven into his hands and his feet as he hung in agony on the cursed tree for you and for me. Has anyone else done that for you? Friends, Jesus is faithful even unto death. Our Lord is the only wise God. He is the source of all wisdom. For us who believe, he is wisdom from God. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, Jesus is our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. Friends, that is the wisdom of God. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's not boast in national pride. Let's not boast in strength of arms. Let's not boast in our great coalitions or in our, or in our wonderful enterprises and charities. Let's boast in the Lord God who gives us life. So may the Lord grant us wisdom not to be beastly, not to conform to the pattern of the world, but instead 
looking ahead to chapter 14. May we be those who bear the name worth bearing, those who worship the Lamb. Let us be found singing the same new song as they do. And may we, like them, be found blameless by the grace and through the blood of Jesus, our beautiful King. Let's bow our heads in prayer.